0: Welcome to U News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Monday, August 31st. I'm Lorraine Cáceres. These are today's headlines. Unrest growing in parts of the country after a man was killed during a contentious weekend in Portland, Oregon. President Trump attacking the mayor of that city, fanning the flames as local officials fire back. As Election Day approaches, growing concerns about foreign interference on November 3rd, the House considering subpoenaing intelligence officials after in-person briefings were suspended. And there are now 25 million confirmed cases of coronavirus around the world as U.S. schools and universities continue to struggle with the back-to-school season. This and much more today on U.N.E.W.S. News, recorded live in our newsroom in Miami. We begin in Oregon. It was another violent weekend in Portland, and now the governor there, Kate Brown, is putting out a plan to try and bring calm to the city of Portland. She has ordered additional cops to stop the clashes while still protecting free speech. This comes months after protests against police brutality first began and a deadly shooting between demonstrators and pro-Trump supporters. Andrea Linares has the latest.
1: another weekend of unrest in portland demonstrators and trump supporters clashing violently leaving one man dead portland's mayor ted wheeler slamming president trump
2: do you seriously wonder mr president why this is the first time in decades that america has seen this level of violence it's you who have created the hate and the division
1: The president firing back on Twitter, calling the mayor weak and pathetic and threatening to step in if the mayor doesn't gain control of the city. This, as we learn new details about the clashes that unfolded Saturday. Hundreds of Trump supporters caravanning into the city, confronting protesters. Here, you see a truck appearing to spray large groups of people as it drives by. Later in the night, this video showing a man opening fire.
3: I saw the guy come up like this with the bear mace and lay it into the two guys in front of him, and then I heard the shots. Like it was that fast. It was mace, pop, pop. The guy who had had the bear mace turned and took three or four steps and then fell.
1: The man who died was wearing a Blue Lives Matter flag and a Patriot Prayer hat. A right-wing group whose members have clashed with Portland protesters in the past.
0: We ask that anyone with information or video or eyewitness accounts, please come forward and share that information with our investigators.
1: The FBI and ATF now assisting with the investigation. So far, police have not yet released the name of the victim or any information about the suspect in this weekend's Portland shooting who remains at large.
0: And it's critical that everyone refrain from conjecture. Our constitution permits freedom of speech and assembly and individuals are free to disagree. But criminal activity, especially violence, is out of bounds.
1: All this as nationwide anger escalates over the recent shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. President Trump will be visiting Kenosha, Wisconsin on Tuesday to inspect the damage caused by riots and meet with law enforcement officers. This despite Wisconsin's governor, Tony Evers, telling the president that he is not welcome there. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News.
0: Thank you, Andrea, for that report. And meanwhile, Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden is visiting Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, today, where he's expected to address the racial unrest gripping Kenosha and Portland. Joining me is Charles Zeldin. He's a political science professor at Nova Southeastern University. Thanks for being here, Professor Zeldin. How differently are President Trump and Biden addressing the violence, and how will this affect the race?
2: Well, they are... They're addressing it almost in the opposite direction. Uh, The president is addressing it as the protesters are loose, they're rioting, and they need to be put down. And uh, Vice President Biden is emphasizing the need to allow for peaceful protest and overreaction by uh, the police and uh, uh, vigilantes from the right. Uh, This, there are Two ways this election can go. One way is as a referendum on President Trump's presidency. The other is as a referendum on how safe you feel in America. And if it goes a second way, events such as this and positions such as this will have a big role in the outcome of the election.
0: And, Professor, President Trump is traveling to Kenosha. How important is Wisconsin for his reelection?
2: Uh, Not as important as, say, Florida is or Texas is, but it is very important. Uh, uh, President Trump is likely to have to win again in the Electoral College. And that means he's going to need to win some key swing states. And Wisconsin is one of them. Uh, He needs—he needs to win Wisconsin. He needs Michigan. He needs Pennsylvania or an equivalent state. and. uh, given what's going on in Wisconsin, I think he sees this as the wedge issue to get out his voters uh, to uh, to the polls, uh, to not just only get them to vote for him, but to motivate them to turn out and vote, which is what he's going to need if he stands even a chance of winning that state.
0: In talking about motivation, let's talk about the political conventions. An ABC Ipsos poll found that Biden got a small boost after the DNC, while Trump actually lost a point after the RNC. Did the conventions move the needle at all?
2: Not really. Um, We'll know better after Labor Day when there's another serious round of of polling done uh, as to where things stand. Uh, You know, the the bump that you get from from a convention is usually pretty ephemeral. Uh, the best thing we can say is is that things stand today as they stood at the beginning of the uh, of the conventions. Uh, the only question is: Are people's attitudes tightening? Are are, are those who support Trump? more convinced they're going to vote, are those who are supporting Biden convinced they need to vote. Uh, This is going to be all about turnout. Who shows up to vote is going to determine who wins in these close races that are likely in the swing states. So uh, I, I guess you could say that, at the best, neither convention did any harm to the candidate. But in terms of a positive impact, it might have helped Biden a little, and it doesn't seem to have helped the president very much at all.
0: And Professor, talking about voters, Joe Biden has been mostly addressing supporters virtually because of the pandemic, while the president is constantly out there. Should we see more of the former VP?
2: Uh, From what I gather, he is going to be traveling more and speaking out more, but I don't think you're going to see the large crowds with with Biden that you you potentially see with the president. Uh, It's just a different attitude that the Democrats have to the Republicans in terms of what is proper and safe, given the pandemic. Uh, But I I think you're going to see uh, Biden traveling to various states and then— uh, giving what are essentially virtual uh, talks, uh, holding uh, press conferences in those states, uh, to be more active but still safe. Um, the potential of these large groups, if there are people who, who are asymptomatic, to spread the virus is, is still quite uh, significant. And uh, that's one of the arguments of the, the Democrats, that we shouldn't be doing it. We, we should be careful as opposed to the Republican argument, which is that it's basically all over.
0: Well, thank you so much for your input always, Professor Selden of Nova Southeastern University. Meanwhile, protests for racial justice across the country continue. Protesters in Seattle marching with signs in hand during a demonstration Sunday afternoon. Demonstrators held peaceful rallies across the entire country calling for change and an end to police brutality. And five police officers were injured after this scene at Washington, D.C.'s Black Lives Matter Plaza Saturday night. Police say a group set fires, lit fireworks and threw smoke grenades and bricks at officers. The department says cops responded with sting balls and tear gas. They also arrested at least five people on charges, including felony rioting and assault on a police officer. On Capitol Hill, Congressional Democrats are slamming the Director of National Intelligence for canceling briefings on election security issues, this just two months before November's presidential election. Edwin Pitti has the latest from Washington, D.C. Edwin, what do you have for us?
3: Lorraine, this information has not been well received by members of Congress, especially the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, and the Chairman of the Intelligence Committee in the House, Representative Adam Schiff, both of them slamming hardly the Director of Intelligence. John Radcliffe, right after he made the call of temporarily suspending all of those briefings in person when it comes to security of the electoral system and also the interference of other countries in our elections. According to Democrats, it is very important for them to have access to any member of the intelligence community to be able to ask them any questions, to get to the bottom of any issues, especially when it comes to other countries trying to interfere in our election. Democrats saying they're willing to do whatever it takes to get access to that information. Let's take a listen.
4: But we will compel the intelligence community to give Congress the information that we need. We'll compel the intelligence community also to speak plainly to the American people. Because, Dana, this information, this intelligence, paid for by taxpayers, doesn't belong to Donald Trump. Right, and
3: Republicans in the Senate are saying that it is important for them to have access to the members of the intelligence community, especially after many reports are saying that right now there are three countries that are working very hard to be able to interfere with our election. Just like back in 2016, Russia is trying to help the re-election campaign of President Donald Trump, and now China and Iran are helping Joe Biden in his willingness to become the president of the United States. But again, President Trump saying over the weekend that the reason Director Radcliffe made this decision is because he's tired of sending information to Congress and having Democrats leak their own information. To the media, that is not how the system should work. They are doing their part, but Democrats should not be leaking that information to the media, according to the president. But again, Director Ratcliffe making clear that even though they are they, um, following this step, it doesn't mean that they don't want to share information. They will continue to provide written reports for Congress to have access to any details they might want. Live in Washington, D.C. Lorraine, back to you.
0: Thank you, Edwin, for that report. More than 25 million people around the world have been infected with the coronavirus. That's according to the numbers released by Johns Hopkins University on Sunday. The United States has the highest total number of cases, nearly 6 million. Johns Hopkins University also reports that more than 840,000 people have died since cases were first reported in China last December. And as the U.S. confirming its first known case of reinfection, as the University of Washington predicts, the death toll here could rise to 317,000 by December. Meanwhile, as the race for a vaccine continues, the FDA now saying it is willing to approve a vaccine before trials are even concluded. Coronavirus cases in the U.S. soon reaching 6 million and deaths surpassing 183,000, according to Johns Hopkins University's tally. Researchers at the Institute of Health Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington predicting the death toll could rise to 317,000 by December.
2: We could save 90,000 American lives if 95% of people wore masks uh, by the end of this year. I mean, that's just such a huge number of American lives that could be saved.
0: As confirmed cases of COVID-19 reinfection surface in different parts of the world, Nevada health officials saying the U.S. appears to have its first case. A 25-year-old man got sick in April, then he recovered and tested negative twice. In late May, he experienced symptoms again and tested positive. Nevada's public health laboratory says genetic tests indicate he caught two different varieties of the virus. In the Midwest, coronavirus cases continue to increase with surges in the Dakotas, Minnesota, and Iowa. In 36 states, outbreaks are being reported in colleges and universities. In New York, SUNY Onondaga is closing for two weeks after a spike in cases following a large party. Governor Andrew Cuomo sending in what he calls a SWAT team of testers and tracers to address the issue. Because we have such a high caseload, um, SUNY Upstate Medical has sent 3,000 tests to be able to test our students and our staff over the next few days. In addition, the governor is sending 70 contact tracers, has sent folks from the New York State
4: Department of Health to assist.
0: At Georgia Tech, the number of new COVID cases more than doubling in just eight days, according to the school, jumping from 252 to 705. Meanwhile, FDA Commissioner Dr. Stephen Hahn telling the Financial Times that if a vaccine developer applies for approval before the end of phase three, the FDA could authorize it. Hahn saying the decision would be based on data and not politics. The president has said a vaccine will be available before the end of the year, if not sooner, and now several prominent physicians and experts are calling for the creation of an independent commission to review data from coronavirus vaccine trials before a vaccine is allowed on the market. And Twitter says it has removed a post President Trump retweeted because it violates the company's rules. The tweet was from a supporter of a baseless QAnon conspiracy theory. The claim is that the CDC has reduced the number of U.S. deaths it believes stem from coronavirus to 6% of the reported total over 180,000. But that claim is inaccurate. The CDC actually says 6% of death certificates that list COVID-19 indicate it was the only factor in the person's death. The other 94% of patients also had issues like obesity, heart disease or diabetes. The CDC has long stated such pre-existing conditions increase a person's chance of dying from coronavirus. President Trump retweeted a second post about the conspiracy theory on Sunday. And COVID-19 is not just taking lives across the country, but also upending families. Fabiola Galindo brings us the story of children left orphaned by the pandemic.
4: The last time Heriberto Gonzalez saw his daughter and granddaughter, everything seemed to be fine for the 73-year-old Honduran immigrant. Before my dad died, he would come with me to my doctor's appointments, take care of me and my baby. But now Martha Gonzalez, at 16 years of age and with a small baby, has to do everything on her own. Her father, and only legal guardian, died of coronavirus in April right now I am in foster care but before all this happened my dad took care of me like her there is an undetermined number of minors in the country who are now orphans because of COVID the question is what would happen with their lives only in New York there are eight children in foster care the number could go higher according to experts at the same time that COVID deaths are rising these children will like to be with their other family members but sometimes that's not possible and they have to enter the foster care system i love traveling with my dad we would go to honduras every summer to visit my mom her mother lives in honduras but doesn't have a visa to travel to the u.s that is why she's looking for help on gofundme for her and her daughter who is about to turn one she wants to graduate from high school and next year go to college she wants her message to be heard. People say they do not believe in the virus, and I tell them, don't speak like that in front of me because I lost my father and they haven't lost anyone. In New York, Fabiola Galindo, Yunus
0: In Chicago, a well-known restaurant owner is fighting for his life, clinging to a ventilator. Claudio Vélez told, sold tamales on the street for two decades, then finally achieved his dream of opening a restaurant. But as Malena Marchand tells us, everything changed in a matter of two weeks, and everything began with a sore throat.
5: My tamales are traditional, and they are saying that if you don't know the tamale guy, you don't know Chicago. Only two weeks ago, Claudio Vélez was celebrating, achieving one of his biggest dreams in the midst of a pandemic. With humility, here you have my restaurant. But COVID-19 now has him in the intensive care unit connected to a ventilator in a Chicago hospital. Social media accounts reported that the well-known Tamale guy began to have a sore throat and that his health was deteriorating. I was surprised to hear the news that he got the coronavirus. I heard he got sick with COVID and that he's on a respirator. It's so sad. Veles made headlines a few months ago when, after selling tamales in Chicago bars for 20 years, he was confronted for not having permits to sell food on the street. His situation generated so much support that people ended up raising $35,000 for him, which allowed him to open his own restaurant. I was his customer when he sold in bars, but now they just opened the store and I wanted to come in person. I thought it was going to be open today, but no. Now the fundraising is for pending medical expenses for Velas, who before succumbing to the coronavirus had this dream, una vida bonita, mis hijas. Uh, to make a nice life for my daughter, buy her a little house and something for her studies. Reported by Viviana Avila in Chicago, Malena Marchan, U-News.
0: HOPEFULLY HE RECOVERS SOON AND NOW TURNING SOUTH TO THE BORDER. SINCE PRESIDENT TRUMP ANNOUNCED its CONSTRUCTION, THE BORDER WALL CONTINUED TO BE A CONTROVERSIAL SYMBOL OF HIS IMMIGRATION POLICY. BUT THAT WALL IS BEING PAID FOR NOT BY MEXICO AS THE PRESIDENT PROMISED, BUT WITH MONEY FROM U.S. TAXPAYERS. IN ADDITION, ONLY FIVE MILES OF NEW FENCE HAVE BEEN BUILT, WHILE ONLY 236 MILES OF SECTIONS HAVE BEEN RENEWED OR REPLACED. AND AS Eileen QUERVEZ EXPLAINS, THE IMPACT ON THE ENVIRONMENT HAS ALREADY BEEN massive
6: u.s Customs and border protection says they are continuing to make progress on the construction of the border fence between mexico and the united states only this time they are asking for expert opinions to find out if there is any kind of impact border patrol is looking for information and data that will help us identify environmental cultural and trade impacts the project will be located on the Tijuana River Channel, the only urban area on the Tijuana-San Diego border that does not have a border fence.
4: El
6: the paved bridge the will be 20 sea feet sea wide, 30 sea feet sea high, 30 with a vertical sea fence sea and lights. Con una reja Environmental activists say that this type of infrastructure damages the environment and that it only affects safety in the areas where these walls are placed. Every time they build something, it disrupts the ecosystem. The flora and the fauna depend on everything that is happening there, and I am sure I can guarantee that there are native plants right there where they are going to build, so it will disrupt everything. There are also voices in the United States that say this is an environmentally unfriendly measure and they are only causing damage to the ecosystem of the Tijuana River Basin. It is a tragedy that should not be carried out. We already have two walls. We already know the consequences of a wall. It is not a solution of the 21st century, but from the Middle Ages of the walled cities. The government will be taking feedback online from those interested in the project until September 24th. Aileen Cardet, Yunus.
0: More of U News after this short break. Welcome back to You News. The potential sale of the popular social media app TikTok is now facing new hurdles. It seems that China's government must approve of any sale of U.S. operations by TikTok's parent company, ByteDance. Government ministers said regulations were changed to protect national security. U.S. President Donald Trump has sought to ban TikTok unless it is sold by its Chinese parent company. The U.S. has given ByteDance until September 20th to address certain security concerns involving TikTok's technology. Meanwhile, back here in the U.S., United Airlines is eliminating some of its change fees for permanently. The new policy will apply to domestic ticket holders in economy and premium cabins. Starting in January, they will be able to fly same day or standby or change flights for free. United is extending its waiver for tickets issued before then, too. It allows travelers to change flights as many times as they want with no penalty. Meanwhile, another successful launch for SpaceX, the company's Falcon 9 rocket, launched from Cape Canaveral, Florida, Sunday evening and deployed a satellite once in orbit. SpaceX says the mission marks the company's first launch to polar orbit from the East Coast and the first polar launch out of Cape Canaveral since 1960s. And a Japanese company has successfully tested a human-driven flying car from the very first, for the very first time. The company, SkyDrive, held a public demonstration late, late Tuesday. Manned with a pilot, the car took off and circled a test field for about four minutes before landing the car, has eight motors for safety, and takes up the space of about two parked cars. The company's CEO said in a statement, they want flying cars to be safe, secure, and comfortable, and the new way of life in the future. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review. Join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.